Well, hello, everybody. This is Randy Wooten. I'm CEO of Maxio, and this is our first episode of SaaS Expert Voices, the podcast that brings experts in SaaS from around the world together to help us understand where we are today and what's happening tomorrow. Today, I'm honored to welcome Todd Gardner, the founder and CEO of SaaS Capital for 12 years and currently the MD of SaaS Advisors. I've known Todd for several years. He's an expert in SaaS financials, valuation, pricing, and monetization, and couldn't be more excited to have Todd join us today to talk about what's happening in the capital markets, how do people think about the key metrics for fundraising, and how to pick a lane. So Todd, welcome. Thanks, Randy. Glad to be here on the inaugural voyage of Expert Voices. All right, Todd. Well, in the intro, we talked about your background. Maybe just start with that a bit. You've been in this space a long time. Like, what what are the things that you are most excited about as you look to where we're going? Yeah, thanks. I have been in the SaaS space before it was called SaaS. It was application service providers. Oh, I remember and, uh, that. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We used to call it web-based ASPs. Yeah. uh, The venture firm I was at backed one of the very first ASPs called U.S. Internetworking. And it was through my exposure to USI, I really came up with the idea of a separate funding vehicle for for SaaS companies, which was SaaS Capital, and really led the whole movement of lending into SaaS companies, which is now a pretty well-established industry. But um, I think we're in a really productive, as painful as the last 24 months have been, or 18 months, we're in a very productive time, I think, for SaaS companies. We're really back to business. A lot of the froth has has been blown off the market. If you look back at other market corrections, you can actually see that these are vintage years where a lot of amazing SaaS companies were established, where founders are being frugal and tenacious and really looking for insights and creating unique uh, companies as opposed to just ride, riding a fundraising wave of A to B to C to D. So again, as painful as it is, I think it's uh, a really productive time for very focused SaaS companies to, to build their product. Well, let's start there. So talking about the broader market conditions, we did a great event in Austin where you talked about what was happening in the capital markets. And the thing I loved about it was you did have that long look and long view, look back over the last 10 years to talk about what's playing out in the capital markets for public companies. And then we at Maxio produced the Maxio Institute right. Growth Report, which allowed us to triangulate in terms of what was happening in the public markets and how we saw that play out in the private. So maybe just at the high level, Todd, can you talk a little bit about what you've seen and contextualize it, why this time is great for early stage companies? Yeah. So uh, what we talked about in Austin and uh, what people have focused on is lately is the recent deceleration in the growth rate of SaaS companies. And it's been pretty acute in the public markets. And then uh, mirrored almost exactly through the data at the Maxio Institute, which is the the smaller private SaaS companies. But it's been going on for over 10 years. So folks need to recognize this is a maturing industry. It's not necessarily a sick industry. These companies are still growing on average, at, you know, above 15 percent. But when, you, when you're doing your capital planning, you got to understand it's a very competitive environment out there. It's a mature industry, and it's harder to get to the double, double, triple 
you know, kinds of growth rates that um, were very popular with VCs, you know, even three or four years ago. So one is just the broader context of where growth rates are on a more normalized basis. And then obviously multiples, right? And so it's a great thing about the public market. It's very easy to track the valuations of the businesses. And so we did a comparison of sort of where multiples been versus where growth rates have been. And it's it's a great study in the efficiency of the of the uh, public markets because they almost exactly anticipated the slowdown of the growth of the SaaS businesses. So multiples dropped well before, before the growth rates in the SaaS businesses happened. But the thing to keep in mind is while multiples have dropped dramatically, right, from where were we, like near 20 times ARR at the height of the bubble in 20 and 21, we're back to where the long-term 10-year averages are. So we really have regressed to the mean in terms of SaaS valuation. So they may go up from here, but they could also go down from here, right? Interest rates, growth rates continue to slow. So um, it's easy, and there was a lot of chatter at Saster about this, to say, oh, we can't wait till growth rate, to multiples get back to where they were in 2021. Like, you just need to zoom out a little bit and recognize that that was a clear outlier. And so this is a relatively normal period in terms of SaaS valuations, uh, both in public and, and private. And we'll touch on private fundraising, I think, a little bit later. Yeah, just building on that, I think that's what we saw in the Maxio Institute growth report uh, is an anonymous collection of the $15 billion of billing and invoicing data going across our system of about 2,300 customers. And what we saw very specifically in Q1 2022 was a growth rate about 30%. And in Q1 of 2023, that had dropped to 13%. And in Q2, just in this past Q2, it popped to 15%. And so I think we're all wondering what's going to happen at the end of Q3, and we'll be sure to publish some information there. But I think to your point, Todd, it really is about what's happening with the growth rate and the valuations being recognition of future growth potential as well, right? It's not just what your current growth rate is. Is do you have is the is the market growing? Do you have the ability to grow into that? So maybe I'll shift the conversation a little bit. Okay, so it's the fundraising environment, as you've done a bunch of evaluation of companies, both in your role as founder and CEO of SaaS Capital, and then is in your recent role as your MD of SaaS Advisor. So you've been advising a bunch of companies. What are kind of the three key metrics that investors are looking at and to determine whether they're going to invest and at what multiple? Yeah, uh, happy to. And, and and the one thing I would say before we jump to the metrics is as gloomy as it might have sounded on the valuation multiples in the public market, there's a distinct lack of quality SaaS companies going to market right now. Uh, and this is from a bunch of survey data from the PE firms and the venture firms. And there's some good data from Carta and others that valuation in the private markets is actually picking up. Uh, some of that is selection bias because just good company good companies are going to market. Yep. But if if you have strong metrics across the areas that we're going to talk about in a second, it is not at all a bad time to go to market because there's not a lot of competition for the cap the private capital that's out there. In terms of the metrics themselves, everybody's very aligned around growth, profitability slash efficiency, and retention. 
So none of those should be a big surprise and different firms focus uh, will rank those differently, but um, all three of them are very important. And in other periods, just one or two of them may have been important. And I would say every PE and VC or strategic buyer that I've chatted with lately, all three of those are very important. Which one right now do you think is most important? Which one, <laughs> if you had to rank it? I think I think it very much... I know you love all your children. Yeah, no, it, I think it depends on stage, but I would say mm. growth was always number one amongst those three. And now, even in some survey data I've seen, and this is consistent with, with your backers at Battery, retention seems to come to the top as the first thing that they dig into. And when they dig into retention, yeah. it's like you just have to have your ducks in a row on this. And I am still amazed at some relatively large SaaS companies who haven't done the really hard work to nail down retention. But it should be cohort-based, and you need to calculate it on both a net and gross basis. Um, gross takes out the effects of cross-selling and price increases and even some usage-based increases. And gross is believed to be, and, and I think is, a more pure measurement of the stickiness of the revenue stream. It's not clouded by some of the things that can be included in net retention. I think it's a great point, especially around contextualizing around stage, right? So if you're early stage seed series A, you're not worried about gross retention. But when you start to get into that series B or series C investment, you have product market fit, you've got, you're starting to build a replicable sales model. Now you're starting to really think about, I got a group of customers, I got to keep them. And so I think that gross retention starts to become more important. And the investors at that stage start to look at that. It's almost the um, line, I mean, not line in the sand, but kind of, if anything's below 90%, they won't do it. And what they're looking for is like 92% is what I've heard. Or them just to pass yeah. and say, okay, the, the business model is pretty good. Now let's go look other places. But if you don't, to your point, if you're not able to retain those customers, you have that leaky bucket and it's super hard to outgrow that with new logos as your install base gets bigger. That's exactly right. So retention drives future growth more as you get larger. So you absolutely yeah. can't outrun a leaky bucket and you you can't get away with 120% NRR if your gross revenue retention is 80. Right. Because NRR is just fundamentally less stable than gross revenue retention. It is usually driven by outlier growth in you know the top 10% of your customers. I do also think, which you didn't mention, but I know you're a huge fan of, is in that cohort analysis is looking at logo retention and thinking about What's true at your different size? So you may have a different type of retention logo and dollar at your small, your SMB mid-market versus enterprise customers and deeply understanding what's happening there, the overall profitability of those different segments and what the retention profile is going to be because they're different. Yeah. In fact, the best independent variable if you're comparing revenue retention across companies is your ACV. So the size of your contracts. And, you know, if you're selling into the SMB, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, a lot of times you're going to like, look, I am never going to get to 95% gross revenue retention selling into the SMB. Those companies go out of business at a greater rate than that. 
And that's absolutely true. So you get some structural churn, the lower your ACV. The flip side of that is that's just a negative in your business model, right? That you're not keeping those customers. So it's not necessarily a great excuse. You can be outperforming your peers in that area. But the fact of the matter is you're still churning those customers on a regular basis. And so you need to acquire them efficiently, which is the the third leg to the stool. And some uh, investors look at this differently than others. Some are like, hey, in this environment, you need to be profitable or we won't look at your company. Others, it's just more around capital efficiency. And the most popular metric right now, and I think this is a great metric, is your burn ratio, which is basically how much did you grow ARR compared to how much money did you consume? on a net company-wide basis. So it's like a CAC ratio, but it includes all of your spending. If you're not burning money, that's not a relevant metric and you're really looking more at you know, your profitability on a, on a net basis, so your operating margin or, or whatever, or free cash flow, however you wanna measure it. But these are the efficiency yeah. metrics that folks are focused on. And I still think uh, on a unit economic basis, folks are digging into CAC payback uh, yep. which is how quickly you get your in sales and marketing investment paid back from your customers. Because that's an indication of, hey, if we lean into sales and marketing, how efficiently can we grow the business? So it's a unit economics efficiency metric in addition to some of these more macro ones. Yeah, I think that whole idea about burn ratio if you're unprofitable is uh, wicked important. One of my favorite articles you wrote was it was something about the porpoise move where every once in a while you want to try to get EBITDA positive just to show that you can do it. And then you be deliberate about where you make your investments after that. And so if you go EBITDA negative, cash flow negative, and that burn ratio starts going in the other direction, you're just much more in control of it than if you're right. fighting to get profitable and the burn ratio is out of whack. And then it's like, oh God, I got to get more capital. Do I do that from debt? Do I take a down round, et cetera? And so I think really having your hands as CEO or CFO on the levers of, and and being able to show that you can get profitable. To that point, the other article that you just are posting, which I thought was really interested in, was this idea about picking a lane. And so to your point, there are really two different profiles of companies that are fundable. And then there's this great middle, which is you don't want to be caught in the middle, the Death Valley. So can you talk a little bit about how those different profiles have evolved and what you really need to be solving for in terms of your company profile to be able to continue to get funded and to be able to um, drive up that valuation over time? Sure. Uh, I think I wrote this because we're coming off this really unusual whipsaw period where essentially for SaaS businesses, money was virtually free for a while. And then almost overnight, there was no capital available at all. Right. So everybody was using the same playback playbook, which is you've got to reduce the burn. And everybody went through those exercises. And then coming out of that, um, some lucky few companies, right, are really cut down on their burn, their growth rate continued to go. And and that's a wonderful combination of of growth and profitability. But, But many others, right, they reduced their burn and growth slowed. And so now they're in this period of relatively modest or low growth, and modest pro- modest profitability or losing money. And that was okay for a little while while people were trying to get their footing and say, hey, what's next? And 
but it's not okay anymore, right? Sort of the whipsaw of the capital markets is over. We're in a relatively normalized period, even though growth rates are shrinking. And it's very dangerous to be in, in this low growth, low profitability area. And so it's really a call to management teams and investors to become very intentional about where you're going next. Like, do you have, and in the article I outlined, like, what are the steps that it takes to return to growth, right? Is it data-driven? Is it objective? Is it fully funded? I mean, is there really an honest-to-God return to growth for this particular business, which is incredibly hard to do? It's really hard to re-energize growth in a, in a SaaS company. But, some, but you can do it, right? And it might even be a new product or a new market, um, but it needs to be very intentional. And if not, you need to pick the profitability lane. Right. And, and not break even, but really making some money. And, and Randy, you helped me build on this, which is there's ways to create value right through making money. That's how most companies do it. Right. And in the SaaS world, it can drive if you're at scale. Right. That can easily drive an M&A strategy, which is very interesting to private equity firms. And then even if you're not at scale, what it does is it moves you from a really crappy multiple of revenue because you lack growth to a reasonable valuation based on an EBITDA multiple, right? And this is, this is getting profitability into the 15, 20, 25% operating margin. So it's very important to get out of the middle, right? The death valley, as you put it, or the dead zone and get intentional about one direction or the or the other. And that was the gist of that that blog post. Yeah. And so just kind of putting some numbers around it, I think high growth being, I think we talked a little bit about and you know, used to be you had to grow at 40%, 30 is the new 40. But if you're in that 30% sustainable growth kegger over time, you have a little bit more flexibility to continue to invest in growth. And I think to your plan, I the thing I really liked about it was just this as a management team, you got to be clear eyed about the path to growth. What are the investments you're making in either product, segments, regions, or if you have access to capital M&A, that's going to help you drive that growth? And can you, it's almost like, not just when you're series A, series B, you're trying to get the replicable sales model down so I can get a bunch of deals. And then as you get into the series C, series D, you need a replicable growth model. What does that look like to drive that high end? I think to the other point, if you're in that, 10 to 20%, you're still viable SaaS. And to your point, now you're taking the profits. I think of it like you have a cash engine that then you decide to invest in your growth engine. That growth engine could be behind the plan that you described. It could be putting money away to do M&A. It could be just putting money away to see how this thing's going to play out. But if you're down at like 0% growth as a SaaS company, like that's a whole nother problem. No, I was just saying, I think single digits on either one of those, so like marginally profitable or marginally unprofitable, and then the growth rate and also in single digits, you you just need to get on a direction. Sort of, you know, the idea of hanging around the hoop and seeing if something interesting is going to happen isn't viable in, in this particular economy. Yeah, I think that's really when you get to the pivot. Right. The the pivot. What are you going to do? And one of the things I've heard from uh, an investor, Sequoia, when I was at another company was it is really hard to do a pivot in a high growth SaaS business where there's been an enormous amount of capital invested on the future potential. So a pivot in that case turns into a recap. No investor wants a recap. 
But if you are looking at the reality of under single digit uh, growth and not being able to get profitable and running out of cash, like it, it's a come to Jesus moment. And, and by the way, a recap is also another way to create value. If you say, all right, we, you know, we're, we're going to drive 20%, you know, operating profits or 25 or 30% operating profits. It's not the home run everybody was hoping for, but, but you can certainly operate in that dynamic for a period of time and, and generate, you know, real returns for investors and the management team. Yeah, that's great. So I think we're, Kind of wrapping this up, I, I think we've talked a bit about the broader capital market, what's happening. It's a it's a blip, but we're, we're, we're going back to the norm. We've talked about the private marketplace where we've seen it fall the uh, public markets. We're seeing broadly across our 2,300 customers, which skew S&B to mid-market, kind of under 100 million, growth rates in Q2 being about 15%, but with a little tick up. So we'll see what happens in Q3. We talked about fundraising, the several metrics that investors are looking at and really the key insight in terms of picking a lane. Are you solving for profit? Are you solving for growth? Todd, is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with at the end of the, the I would say on the, oh, one thing you forgot to mention, or I think we talked about on the fundraising front is don't be afraid to test the market right now. I, I do think the capital overhang and all the dry powder is absolutely real. And a lot of folks just aren't going to market either on an M&A basis or a capital raising. So you, you need to have your ducks in a row and you need to be driving and performing reasonably well in all three of those metrics. But it's not as bad a time to raise capital, I think, as a lot of CEOs and management teams think. Yeah, to that point, I was just at a uh, uh, conference with the other battery CEOs that are part of this growth equity majority owned fund. And someone mentioned it was something like a trillion dollars is out there in terms of capital ready to be deployed. At the same time, one of my my GP, Chelsea Stoner, who's wicked smart and has been in the space a long time, incredibly successful, has said when she looked at our growth index report, she said, yeah, they're still seeing winners that are doing T2, D3, right? Tripling in the first two years and doubling the three years after that. And so there are people who have good business models that are getting funded. But for Battery, for example, they see over 5,000 deals a year, of which they only invest in 20. So I do think, to your point, you can test the market, but you kind of have to clean things up and be picking one of those two lanes and being super clear about your value creation plan. Not just your growth, but your next two to three years and how are you going to create value based on the, the market, the size of the market, the TAM, your specific unique capability, the differentiation you have, and your replicable sales model and your replicable growth model. Yeah, well said. I, I, yeah, I think it's haves and have-nots to some degree in the, in the fundraising market right now, but there is, there is capital out there. Amen. All right. Well, Todd, it's always a pleasure chatting. I appreciate you making the time. Look forward to continuing the conversation and on LinkedIn, where the people can find you on LinkedIn. Is there someplace else that you would like to advertise for people to track you down? Uh, uh, LinkedIn is, is fine right now. I've uh, just launched a website, but most most of my uh, activities on LinkedIn. So just look me up there. Great. And then for everybody Great. else listening, we will provide a link to the Maxio Institute Growth Report. You can find me on LinkedIn or send me a note if you'd like to chat. It's randy.wooten at maxio.com. I always got 15 minutes to chat with SaaS professionals and learn from your experience. Maybe one day we'll have you on Expert Voices. Thanks very much. Thank you, Randy.